Hey friends, Christine here. I wanted to share a special announcement with you before today's podcast interview begins. Now through November 30th, 2019, I am hosting a 30 book giveaway on my website. The Lord has blessed me with the chance to collaborate with the publishers of almost all the Hope and Help Project guests I've interviewed this year. And the result being three different book bundles of 10 titles each that are going to be delivered to three different winners. I am so grateful for the generosity of the publishers who have agreed to align with my mission of providing gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems. You can enter to win a bundle of your very own by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The giveaway information is at the top of the page and you can click on the button there to find out all about the details. The three winners will be announced on December 1st, 2019. Please help me spread the word about this really incredible giveaway. By doing so, you also help to raise awareness about this podcast, as well as the helpful books that our podcast guests have written. You can also access the giveaway link by scrolling down to the show notes and clicking the link listed there. Thank you so much for your continued support, friends, and enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm really glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with Trillia Newbell. Today we'll be talking about Trillia's new book, Sacred Endurance, Finding Grace and Strength for a Lasting Faith, to learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ gives believers the necessary resources to persevere in the Christian faith and to finish the race well. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Trillia Newbell is the Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. A frequent conference speaker, her writing has appeared in Christianity Today, Desiring God, The Gospel Coalition, and more. Her books include If God is for Us, Enjoy, Fear and Faith, United, and God's Very Good Idea. She and her family live near Asheville. Hey there, Chilia. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Thank you. Congratulations, by the way, on the launch of your brand new book coming out this week. It's called Sacred Endurance, Finding Grace and Strength for a Lasting Faith. And for me, reading the book was like getting really a gospel-centered, theologically rich, yet totally relatable injection of faith into my soul. Can you give us some background on the book and why you were compelled to write it? Yeah, so I don't know if there's much background on the book, but why I was compelled to write it I am in that middle age range where I'm seeing a lot of my friends and even myself just struggling to keep running and to endure. I'm not struggling to keep running and to endure, but I understand a lot of the battles that a lot of people are experiencing. And so I'm seeing marriages fall apart and new friends being diagnosed with cancer and there's just a lot of things happening right in this age range. And and so I thought, okay, we have hopefully a while to run. How do we keep running? How do we keep running this race with endurance, setting our 
eyes on Jesus and, and going because I have had friends also just step away from the faith altogether. And so my heart and desire was how to think for myself and for my friends and those around me and your listeners and beyond how to run this race with endurance and to finish the race well. And finishing the race well doesn't mean that we're all going to be <laughs> running with our hands raised champions. It, we may just stumble all the way to the end, mm-hmm. but the Lord is with us. And so, and so it really was more of, of a practice. I saw a practical need for it. And yet I do go theological in the book, but practically I thought this is something that we're all running and we all need to be asking the Lord, how do we finish well? And what are those stumbling blocks that keep us from continuing our race? Yeah, I thought the book did a really great job in just providing that encouragement. And as you said, you know, that theological basis for, you know, how do we really look to Christ continuously as the source of our strength and for the grace that we need to persevere when trials and suffering comes. If I might for a moment also connect with you on a personal level regarding your conversion to Christianity as an adult, you know, I too was saved by faith in Christ as an adult. And I think I've mentioned on the show before, that God met me in the midst of my grief just weeks after my dad passed away from a long battle with cancer. It's really encouraging for me to come across other believers who were also saved as adults, especially Mm -hmm. those who didn't grow up in a Christian home, because it just makes me kind of feel like I'm not the only one. (laughs) So you write in your book that this was the case with you as well. So would you mind sharing your testimony of how you came to Christ? Sure. I was, I grew up in a really loving home and it wasn't a Christian home, but it was a loving home. And so I would have been what people call a holiday Christian. I went on Easter and Christmas and that's about it. Mm -hmm. And so I was introduced to the Lord at a really young age. I just wasn't in the church. And then I think around my teen years, I started to attend this church mostly out of fear. I just, (laughs) I was like, afraid of the Lord, if that makes sense. I was Mm -hmm. afraid. I just didn't want to go to hell to be really blunt. And so I didn't understand anything about a relationship with the Lord or grace. (laughs) And so I went to this church and it was law-based and pretty legalistic. And I remember leaving just realizing there was no way I would ever be able to be the type of person or quote unquote Christian that I am asked to be in that particular environment. And so I left and didn't want to have anything to do with Christians or Christianity ever again. I just thought Christians are weird and they are hypocrite. I just had all these things about uh, Christians. And then I met a girl (laughs) when I was 19 who loved the Lord and she shared the gospel with me. And I remember hearing the gospel, the real gospel for the first time, but just still stiff arming the Lord and stiff arming her a bit. And then after two broken engagements, I'm speeding this up a bit. That's fine. (laughs) After two broken engagements, I remember going back to that church that she invited me to. And I was 22 at the time and hearing the gospel again. And this time the Lord, it broke, it broke through, God broke through. And I remember singing the hymn, Rock of Ages, in that line, Wash Me Savior or I'll Die, and knowing right that moment I needed Jesus. He was the answer. I couldn't leave without him. Yeah. And I was saved. I, and I went and told a couple of people and three people, I will never forget their faces and I will never forget them praying for me, prayed 
that I would have saving faith. And the Lord, he did. He did that. And my life was radically changed from it was a new creation, radical change at the age of 22. And it has looked different ever since. And it's been pretty amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It just makes me super encouraged. It's always neat to kind of hear how the Lord uses, uh, you know, various methods in people's lives to call them to himself. And so I really appreciate you just being willing to share that story with us. And actually, in the book, you reference your conversion quite a bit. And you tell a story about tossing out CDs after you became a Christian. I just love this story. So you write in the book, quote, I had been motivated to look Christian, so throwing away all that music felt like the right decision to make, like what a good Christian ought to do. So let's talk about the importance of having right motivations when it comes to fostering our faith. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the phrase, fake it till you make it, but I think it's relevant in this discussion, and I certainly have my own opinion about this popular slogan, but would you share your CD story and how the whole concept of faking things as a means to accomplish change in our lives actually misses the mark? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote an article and part of the, I think the subtitle was fake it till you make it and how like it's wrong to do that. <laughs> and so, so I can't remember the whole article, but I think you are right that that phrase and what I'm saying kind of correlate in some ways. So for the CD, I, they weren't all objectionable. I just had this really intense and I'm going to use the word legalistic view of what it meant to be a Christian. And so you can, there's a few things that we can do. We can run thinking that we must earn favor before the Lord, which is legalism. So a lot of times Christians, they will be motivated out of this fear that they're not worthy and that they have to earn God's favor every day. It reminds me of the in Hebrews, how the priest had to sacrifice every year. And now we have Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So we don't have to keep doing those things. And we can instead obey the Lord because we are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But we obey because it's already been bought and we want to we want to glorify God rather than the favor he is earned because of Jesus. Then the pendulum swing that we could do is to not care at all with his license. And so we're, we would say, I can just do whatever I want and liberty, liberty, free, free, which is also wrong. And it's what Paul says in Romans, I believe it's six, that we don't sin so that grace may increase. And so in regards to faking it and making it, we don't have to be fake. Jesus already knows. God knows it all. He knows everything that we've done. We, he knows everything we will do and every thought that we've had. So we can just be honest. We can be honest in front of people. We can be honest before the Lord because he already knows. And God in his kindness calls us to repentance. He says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I, I don't remember where, who said this, and it may be Jerry Bridges. I can't remember. But when we confess sin, we're confessing forgiven sin. So we don't have to fake it. 
And so I'm not really sure if that's what you meant by fake it till you make it, but we just, we don't have to. We can run with the right motivation, which is a motivation shored up by grace and the gospel, knowing that it pleases the Lord, that it brings glory to the Lord if we walk in a manner worthy of that gospel that we've already received, that grace that we've already received. Well, I think that was a really great explanation. And I think there are, of course, a few different ways the fake it till you make it thing thrives, even in even in Christian circles, unfortunately. And just for me personally, just this idea of, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, okay, like you said, I've got some sin that I'm trying to overcome and I need the Lord's grace and strength to put off this sin and put on Christ and put on righteousness and make a different choice. Because, you know, before Christ, we didn't have that choice. We were dead in our trespasses and we didn't have the option of honoring God with our choices because we were separated from him. We didn't have the Holy Spirit to empower us to change. But as Christians, as new creations, we do have that power. So the faking concept is no longer necessary. We don't need, like you said, we don't need to pretend that we're not struggling. We are are struggling and we have a solution and the solution isn't to fake and pretend the solution is to confess and repent and to just pray for the Lord's mercy and, and grace that, that is required to pursue change yeah and I think we do each other a disservice if we fake it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's difficult in community to confess if no one is ever coming and bringing their true self. Like, this is what I'm actually dealing with. There's different levels and different things and different seasons. Um, I am currently in a season of, I guess you'd call prosperity and joy and general peace. And, but, but there are, so there are seasons. If you asked me a year ago, I might've been discouraged by many things. But if we could just come with a willingness to be open, I do think that that helps us with our race, running this race with endurance, because we need each other, we need the body. And so faking it doesn't, it it harms us personally, but it also harms others. That's a really great point. Thank you for making that because I I had not thought about it that way, just in the context of community and the body of Christ. And so I think that is a really important point to consider as well. Well, Mm -hmm. as I read your book, I picked up on a couple of recurring challenges that the Lord has placed in your story to really shape and stretch your faith. And one of those heartbreaking sorrows have been really the miscarriages you and your husband experienced repeatedly. You write about the initial reflex you had to be strong in the wake of your first miscarriage, but that, quote, it wasn't until my second miscarriage that I understood I had no strength to endure apart from the mercy and grace of our Lord. Would you explain what you meant by this statement and why you think so many of us are tempted to think that suffering can be avoided through an excess of faith? Yeah, I had to come to an end of myself. And so when I I realized I cannot muster up enough energy to make myself be happy, or I cannot will myself to be joyful and just said, okay, Lord, I realize I am miserably sad. Help me. I need you. The Lord was just kind. I, I read the Psalms and realized there's Psalm after Psalm where it's weeping will tarry in the night and that joy comes in the morning, but the morning could be a long time from now. Mm -hmm. And so 
And so it was just a real helpful reminder to myself that when I am weak, then I am strong in Jesus. And those things can seem so cliche because they're said so often, but when you're actually in a moment of suffering, they're so real. (laughs) You need to remind yourself, oh yes, I am weak, but in Jesus, I am strong. And strength does not look like putting on a happy face and marching to, you know, to victory. And it doesn't necessarily look like that strength. Sometimes looks like calling out for God and that's all you can do. So for me, that was what the Lord did. He, He just taught me how to trust him and rely on him in my weakness and to be okay with that and to be okay with being sad. I think, I think my personality in general is joyful. I'm, I'm typically joyful. I'm very, I'm chipper. It's 8 a.m. And I'm, <laughs> this is just me. And so it was a good lesson for who I am, for that I, I sorrowful yet always rejoicing that don't forget that sorrowful part. So I, I can, so that I need to, to sit and rest and lament and be okay with it. There was a lesson for me. It was okay not to have all the answers. It was okay to be sad. And in regards to the second question, I think a lot of us are tempted to think that way simply and frankly, because we have, even if it's a small bit, a little bit of a prosperity gospel in our faith, we we don't think that we are going to suffer that Jesus equals a good life and a good life equals an American dream or something, something not biblical Mm -hmm. (laughs) or realistic, but God does not promise that we will not suffer. God does not promise that the good life means, um, this, whatever we, whatever we vision as this utopia perfection, God actually tells us over and over again in scriptures that we will suffer as Christ has suffered and that we will endure pain, that the world will hate us even, and that we will have troubles in the, in this world, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. So there's so many t- texts, so much of the text actually reminds us that we are going to suffer, that we're going to endure t- trials, that um, not, not even to be What's the scripture? Don't be surprised by the fury trial. So it's it's text after text, scripture after scripture, telling us, reminding us, because God is very kind to do that, that we are going to endure suffering and pain. So I think some of that is just a, a pseudo prosperity gospel um, that we we don't even realize we've adopted in our faith and. And because we have we have scriptures like in Romans eight that says our suffering is not to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. What a kind God to put those things in there so that we realize, no, 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 you are going to suffer. And it is not because you are faithless. It is not because you lack something. It is because we live in a world that is fallen sin has um, affected every aspect of our life. But one day, God is, Jesus is coming back. God is making all things new. Suffering will end, and it is not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. This is all momentary. One day, it will go away, every bit of it. Every tear will be, will be wiped away. Every sorrow will be gone. God is making all things new, and we have that to look forward to. And so that to me builds my faith 
not the idea of some world and life that doesn't have suffering because it's just not realistic and it's not the reality that we are in. I was really struck by this statement that you made in the book. You write, quote, enduring pain doesn't require that you ignore it or that you simply accept your fate. When I was a new Christian, I did not understand how to suffer well through pain. And I'm sure that I still don't do that, you know, to uh, the best of my abilities all the time. But on one hand, I was tempted just to suck it up and be strong and stoic through the pain and the challenges that I was facing. And then after a while, my strength would run out and I would do exactly what you wrote in that statement, which is I would give up and become hopeless that things yeah. would ever change. But it seems like the scriptures teach an entirely different approach to enduring through pain and suffering. Would you share how the Bible teaches us to engage with God about our troubles instead of simply ignoring them or accepting them? Yeah, so I've mentioned the Psalms a lot. But if you go um, to the Psalms specifically, you will see a sort of asking the Lord, Lord, why is this happening? Why is why am I downcast? And then you'll see a asking Lord to take it away. God, will you help me? And then you'll see a turning to praise. And so there's this interesting, now I am not looking at a Psalm and I'm not looking at, so I'm not looking at the text. So that, this is just me summing it up. <laughs> but, but this is, there's this honesty and questioning, which is okay, asking God for help, and then praising God for who he is. And even we, we see it with Jesus in the garden. He said, if it's your will, Lord, will you take this cup away from me? And I, I will endure the cross, but would you, would you take it away? And then we see Paul asking God, okay, will you take this thorn? I've asked. And, and so I think a kind of, I think you said it in, when you were describing yourself, there's this funny thing that we think, okay, I'm just going to, Lord, I'm just, this is for your glory. And <laughs> so I'm going to endure this pain mm-hmm. instead of like, God, would you please help me? I am asking, will you take this away? Lord, there's these people who are against me. God, I know you are for me, but would you help me in this situation? And whatever it is, and I think so often it's because we lack faith in prayer Mm -hmm. more than anything else. We just don't believe God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And so it's kind of like the father who brought his son to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, Lord, help us believe that we can ask you for these impossible, these things that seem impossible to us and pray in faith. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he is going to answer, but but we, we have probably the tendency to say, your will be done, God, your will be done, more than to say, God, will you do this? <laughs> right. And so, um, so I think that I'm not sure if that's where you were heading, but that is in my head for just this morning. I'm thinking that's, that's one of our Our tendencies is just not to ask God, which we see in the scriptures, a boldness to ask God for hard things. And of course, to preach the truth to ourselves about God's character and rest in him who is sovereign and good for whatever and however he'll answer that prayer. 
Yeah, I mean, I just pulled up Psalm 13. That's what came to mind because just you said, I don't have any Psalms in front of me. So I figured, well, let me grab one. <laughs> so, but, but, but Psalm 13 is, you know, does give us a really great outline and this example of King David. You know, it starts off with, How long, O oh Lord, will you forget yeah. me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And just a few lines later, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast yep. love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So there, just in the span of a few verses, we see this lament and the questions. Yep. How long, Lord, is this suffering? Is this pain? Is this challenge or this broken relationship or whatever, you know, addiction, whatever it is? How long am I going to be battling against this Lord? So we see an engagement with God and not just ignoring that this thing is happening or not trying to be strong in our own strength through it, but say, God, I'm crying out to you. How much longer until you help me? <laughs> until you help me? Because even in that Psalm, David says, consider and answer, oh my Lord and my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep a sleep of death. You know, I mean, he's just so distraught. But just like you mentioned in the closing of that answer, you said, you know, reminding ourselves of the character of God. And I always like to think we find the courage to endure as we sift our chaos through God's character. So really taking what's happening in our lives and saying, okay, I see what's going on around me. But what does God's character mean for this problem? It means that, you know, if I'm in Christ, I'm not being punished. You know, this isn't a punishment. Now I may be being disciplined or trained or, or something like that, but I'm not being, you know, I'm, this is not God's wrath upon me in Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ already paid that bill for me. So I think Psalm 13 just gives us a really great example of how to engage the Lord with our troubles instead of ignoring them or accepting them like you wrote in the book. Now, yeah. an another one of the recurring challenges you included in your book is your experience as, quote, a black female in predominantly white spaces. You mentioned that you grew up in the South, which has been both a great joy for you, but also very painful at times. And you even say over the past few years, you've been harassed by white supremacists supremacist organizations online. While I can't identify with your experience as a black woman in America, I do appreciate that you use this facet of God's careful design for your life to encourage believers really as a whole to endure by faith through the increasingly tumultuous social, political, and cultural climates of this world. So how do we look at all of this discord and injustice and oppression happening both in the church and in the world and guard our hearts from growing cynical toward God and others? So this, I think, is one of the biggest hurdles of our time, cynicism. I think I can see it on social media. I see it even in some of my friends in real life. We see this growing suspicion in people. People are just suspicious. And so when I think of believe the best, love believes the best, it's really difficult for Christians right now to believe the best, to hope all things, to do those those commands in scripture. It's very difficult. And so this is one of the when I was thinking through what's hindering and hurt, harming and hurting or hurdles for us to run with endurance, cynicism was one of them. So how do we grow in not being cynical? Well, I mean, I think I, I just thank God for the for his word. I do think that for us to continually renew our minds and for us to be um, in, in order for us to set 
our minds on Jesus. If we're going to do that, then we've got to be in his word. We, that's not something that we can do on Twitter. <laughs> Just to be really blunt. If you are spending most of your day, and I confess I have at times done this on social media, and that is what's feeding your soul. Or if you are even in the newsroom, news media, if that's what's feeding your soul, you will become cynical. So we have to renew our minds and fill ourselves with God's word. I think that it puts a guard on us. I, I'm thinking of Ephesians 6, to put on the armor of God really is a is about getting in his word. And that's where we need to be. We need to be in his word, asking God for help, reading about who the God of the universe is, because he is He's good. He's in control. We also learn if we're in God's word. It's again, it's so cliche, but it's true. Nothing is new under the sun. The first century church was a mess. This isn't new. Gosh, the Old Testament reading about kings and the crazy things that people were doing and just read about David and murder. And I mean, there's just a number of things in the text that makes us kind of put our lives in perspective. And we kind of can get this view that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. (laughs) And it's all everything's terrible now. But we see just from history, and not that long ago, we have always had a problem in our society with unity, with love, with evil. I just came from Rwanda, where in 1994, they endured genocide. Hundreds of thousands of people murdered, neighbors murdering neighbors. And I was in high school when this happened. Yes, I've endured things. And in the South, I've endured some very difficult things. And But when I was in high school, I couldn't have fathomed my neighbor coming and murdering me because of my ethnicity. I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to fathom that. Evil has been something that we have experienced because of this fallen world since Genesis 3. And so how we can endure is, is I do believe, setting our eyes on the world that is to come and on the God who is not like us. God is perfect, holy, set apart. He's not like us. And so for me, that is my, that is my hope, is to know that we serve a God who is set apart, who's unique, different. We can't compare him and that there is a new city that will, a new heaven, a new earth that will wipe away all this, all this that we are experiencing. Now, we still though have to walk today with it. And so I do think that praying and asking the Lord for mercy and for um, taking action where we can getting involved in our society, how we can. I do think that helps with cynicism and with endurance. So that was a lot, but (laughs) to sum it up, I would say get in God's word, pray God's word, pray to the Lord, ask for mercy and ask God to guard your heart and mind, always renewing your mind. And then to ask God where possible you can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world and be an active member of society however you can do that. So much of the Christian life seems like doing hand-to-hand combat, and sometimes we lose sight of the guaranteed joy that lies on the horizon. And scriptures tell us that it was for the joy set before Christ that he found the will to endure his painful torture and crucifixion. So, right. yes, you know, the means of our salvation 
were hideously revolting, but the ends were eternally glorious, for both for Christ and through him, also for us. So how yes. does reflecting on the country to come help believers to wait well while enduring the difficulties of today? Well, it's momentary, right? The Christian journey is a journey of a future that is bright, if that makes sense. Like right. we aren't, we're we're marching towards glory, which is a beautiful and encouraging and wonderful thing to think. This isn't the end. Gosh, if this is the end, bleh. <laughs> no thanks, you know? <laughs> but this isn't the end. And so I do think that setting our eyes on eternity, that's why he, he tells us to, so that we can walk and endure and continue this race. There is an, there's inheritance, there's gifts and prizes and rewards and joy and, and even silly things. Like I have this acid reflux. And during this short time that we've communicated, I've coughed several times. That is because as a result of this diagnosis that I've got. And it's annoying, but it's a hiatal hernia. And that's what I have. And I will experience that kind of coughing thing for the rest of my life. And as silly as that is, it's great to think that one day I'll be able to eat chocolate and not cough. <laughs> that to me is a great thing. Praise so, the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. So the, these, these really silly things are it, when one day, I mean, I can't fathom what it's going to be like to be in glory and to be with Jesus for eternity. So we will get to ask him questions and learn and just enjoy life with him forever. And so the author and perfecter of our faith, we get to be with for forever. I mean, I'm excited already thinking about this. <laughs> This is what we get to look forward to. And it does help me to run the race and to put things into perspective. It isn't the end. We have a future. Our future is bright and glorious and wonderful. And so we can endure these pains, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There is much to be sorrowful about. There is much to grieve. And we can we can we can grieve and we should grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. So as we set our hope, that doesn't mean that we're ignoring the pain of the world, that we uh, minimize it. We, we don't do that. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So we don't have to, we don't do that. We don't ignore it, yet we don't sit and believe that this is it because we know the truth, right? We don't mourn without hope. And so we can mourn and be sorrowful while also looking to that future hope. And it, it just, it helps me to walk. It helps me to run this race, knowing that this isn't the end. I think for me too, one of the things that I've, I can tell I'm maturing in, in, in terms of my faith is just the ability to use my imagination when it comes to thinking about heaven. We'll be driving in the car, I'll have the kids in the car and we'll see, you know, the most beautiful sunset to where it's just like, okay, God's just really showing off on this one. And we'll look and I say, oh my gosh, aren't the colors so beautiful? And then I'll say something like, but these colors that we're seeing right now, like the colors in heaven are going to be colors we've never even seen before. You know, right now, I mean, science knows that we only see a certain spectrum yes. of colors. So there are colors that exist that other animals can see, but we can't. 
you know so what about thinking of that like that just puts a smile on, on my face when my oops I hit my microphone let me say that again. <laughs> sorry I'm using my hands because I'm getting excited and so that's what happened just now <laughs> don't edit this out they need to hear this is what happens <laughs> yep so sorry about that if everyone's ears just just rang but yeah so um you know there are animals that see colors that we can't see and so just thinking of when I get to heaven these scales are going to fall off of my eyes and I am going to see the most awe-inspiring array of colors that I cannot even put into words I don't even have labels for them and that's just going to be one tiny little morsel of the pleasures and the joys and the ecstasies that I am going to have a taste of when I get there face to face with Christ. And it also helps to remind me personally that, you know, all these things that may be causing discord or uh, trauma or challenges, <clears throat> trials, like you said, they're temporary. And I'm not bringing that stuff to heaven with me, but I can bring people with me by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and by helping to introduce people to Jesus so that they can put their trust in him and know that this is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And so just keeping that eternal perspective helps us to remember what is important, but then also helps us to remember that joy that is set before us so that we can endure the momentary light afflictions um, because in comparison to the weight of glory that is to, to come, they're just a small blip on the radar and it doesn't mean yeah. that they're not any less painful any less devastating because they are there's so much devastation and hurt and oppression and injustice going on in this world but in light of the glory to come everything else grows strangely dim right yeah so it's interesting that as you were talking there were a couple of things that i thought one was that i have a book called enjoy and i highlight a lot of that imagination that you are talking about. And I think that is absolutely true, that when we, we, we need that kind of cosmic reality imagination, like this is what is actually true. Right. <laughs> this is, and I, I think about that a lot with racial reconciliation, that our cosmic reality is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right. that we are already united because of the he tore the veil of hostility. So our reality is, is that we're already united. It's That's the cosmic reality. What sin has done has marred that reality on earth. But one day we will get to live fully in that reality. And that's kind of what you're talking about, or at least what I envisioned. Yeah. It also reminds me of Hebrews, how in Hebrews 11, all of those faithful they were waiting for the promise and they died in faith, still waiting. And yet we have Jesus. So we have part of it and we're still waiting, right? right? We're in that already, but not yet waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And so if there's that, those are these, the tension of our waiting that we experience, that rub that we experience, almost that anxious feeling like there's there's something not right. And I don't know who said it, but there is nothing that will satisfy us here. We won't be satisfied right. until we're there. And so the second thing that you said that I, I just thought, frankly, is quotable, <laughs> but you just, you said that, and I'm going to paraphrase it, something like, we're not going to take all of our worries and sufferings and anxiety to heaven with us, but we will take people. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, how... Would that transfer? How? I mean, if we all walked with that in view, 
that eternal perspective about people in view, goodness, wouldn't that chap, that would transform so much of the way we interact with people. And, and, and to be frank, I think we would serve and love people better. It would, we would, it would probably change the way that we also in, engage in suffering. Wait, we wouldn't minimize suffering because it's about people made in the image of God who will one day, um, as C.S. Lewis put it, eternal splendors or eternal horrors, right? Right. We will engage people so, so uniquely different if we keep that in mind. I'm preaching to myself as well. Yeah. (laughs) Like how we would engage people so differently. I want to, I know we're about done with our time here. But I do want to say one thing about cynicism because, that I write in my book. So I just don't want anyone listening to think that in, that we're in any way minimizing sorrows. A lot of people are cynical because they've experienced pain from others. And so there's this distrust because either they've watched a pastor who they trusted fall or they've endured abuse. There's lots of reasons, other reasons why people don't trust other people. And so I just want to, to one, say, if that's you listening, I am so sorry that that has happened and that you have had someone you've trusted do something that is wrong and if probably criminal. So, um, and so those, those things are serious and I do pray for healing for help, that you would seek the the right authorities where it needs to be, and that you will be able to get help. And I am thankful that Jesus calls us to himself and says that when we're weary, we can come to him and receive rest, and that, that he was tempted in every way but without sin, and that we could run to his throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. And so whatever it is, that we do have a Savior that calls us to himself and that we can run to him for help. And that isn't minimal. So that's a massive, amazing thing that we have a redeemer who lives to intercede for us and who calls us to himself. Well, I want to go ahead and take the time to invite you to do something I ask every guest on the episode to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. Now, there may be someone listening to this episode whose faith is faltering, Maybe they're in the middle of a season of heartbreak and suffering, and they realize that they have become cynical about the future. Maybe they live with fear that the next disaster is just around the bend, and perhaps they've tried to do all the right Christian things, but they're still stuck in their troubles and seemingly have no hope of change on the horizon. The bottom line is they're at the end of their rope, they're crushed in spirit, and they feel like they need a miracle. What would you say to that person to encourage them to take heart and endure by faith through their pains and their doubts? Um, actually, I wouldn't say anything to you at all. I would just pray for you. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to do that. Yes. Lord, thank you for um, allowing us to come before your throne of grace to receive mercy and help in our time of need. Whatever it is that we need, you say we can come to you. We can ask boldly. We can ask with faith, Lord. So God, I pray that you would comfort the sorrowful, that you would draw near to the brokenhearted. That's what you say in your words that you would do. Lord, that you would 
comfort, that your presence would be known, Lord. God, that you would help the cynical. God, that you would renew their minds. Lord, that the fearful would fear not, not out of their own strength, Lord, but because you say in your word over and over again that you uphold them with your righteous right hand, that you are with them, that you are for them. So no one and nothing can be against them so they can rest. Lord God, whatever it is that the listeners need, God, Lord, would you speak to them directly through your word, God, through your spirit, Lord? God, would you do only what you can do because you know them, Lord? God, would you give them a community of people who can gather around them and who can love them well? Lord, would you help them to confess where sin needs to be confessed, knowing that they're confessing forgiven sin, Lord, and that they do not have to pretend or to be fearful, God? Lord, would you help. So God, that's what we ask for. We ask for you. We need you. We need your presence. We need your help. We need your spirit. Lord, you say that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us when our groaning is too deep for words, Lord. Right now, I know that there is someone who sits in that position. Groaning's too deep for words, crying out, Lord, would you let them know that you hear them? God, Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross bearing the wrath that we deserve, that you conquered death, and that you are the risen Lord interceding right now for your own, that you hear every single one of those prayers and that you love to hear them. So, God, we thank you for that. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for that prayer. That was really, really special. You're the, the very first guest to offer to pray in response to that closing question. So I think that that's just so neat. And I, I'm really thankful. Before I let you go, let me ask if there's someone listening today who wants to get more connected with you and your writing ministry, where can they go to find out more about what you've got going on? And are there any fun, um, exciting announcements besides this new book or fun projects that you're working on that we should know about? Oh, goodness. You know, it's fun. I always kind of have projects that I'm working on. So um, it's 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 an interesting and I love the work that I get to do. Um, so the best way to find me is trillianewbell.com. And that's T-R-I-L-L-I-A-N-E-W-B-E-L-L.com, which I'm assuming you'll put in yep. your show notes. Okay. So if, if you want to find me, just find me on my website. And actually, that's If you can spell my name, you can find me anywhere because I've tried to keep it simple since my name is crazy enough, but it's Trillian Newbell at Twitter and Trillian Newbell on Instagram and Trillian Newbell on Facebook. So you can find out more information about the things that I'm doing and writing and podcasts and various things there. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us, you know, about some of the things you write in your new book, Sacred Endurance. And again, congratulations on the book launch. And thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Trillia's book and other helpful resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. 
Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.